Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, people can be funny about their money. I heard about a couple that lived in Maine in the early days of aviation, and Stumpy and his wife Martha went to the state fair each year, and one year there was a, brain, or a barnstorming pilot there offering rides in his open cockpit biplane. Stumpy said, you know, Martha, I'd love to ride in that plane. Martha said, I'm sure you would, Stumpy, but that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. Stumpy said, well, I'm 72 years old, Martha, and if I don't go now, I'll never go. Martha said, Stumpy, that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. Well, the pilot overheard their conversation. He said, folks, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I'll take you both both up, and if you can stay quiet for the entire ride, I won't charge you. But if you say one single word, it'll be $10. They agreed, climbed into the airplane. The pilot put the plane in all kinds of loops and rolls and stalls and dives, but he didn't hear one word from Stumpy and Martha behind him. He landed the plane, turned to Stumpy and said, I got to say, I'm impressed. I tried everything to make you holler, but you didn't. And Stumpy said, well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out. (laughs) But $10 is $10. (laughs) I found out there's technology available that we may install on our offering boxes. If you drop in a check or paper money, nothing happens. You drop in a half dollar and a little bell tinkles. You drop in a quarter and a whistle blows. You drop in a dime and a siren goes off. You drop in a nickel and a shot sounds. And if you walk by and put nothing in, it takes your picture. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul gives us the longest section in all of Scripture on the subject of giving. But what's interesting to me is that he doesn't start with money. In fact, never once does he mention the word money in these two chapters. And he doesn't start with giving. He starts with grace. Notice verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Why does he start with grace? Because grace always gives. That's the nature of grace. How did God show His grace to us? He gave. How do we show His grace in us? We give. And Paul begins by describing the churches in Macedonia in verses 1 to 5. 
And he talks about how they were a model of giving by grace. And in verses 1 to 5, we're going to pick out this morning seven characteristics of their giving that display the grace of God. First of all, grace gives anonymously. Notice verse 1 again. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, I want you to notice that not one single individual is mentioned here. In fact, not even one specific church is mentioned here. He just says the churches of Macedonia. I had to get my atlas out. Looked up ancient Macedonia and found out that these churches included the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica and the church in Berea. But he just lumps them all together. You see, nobody gets highlighted when you give by grace except God who is the giver of grace. Jesus said in Matthew 6.3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be done in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, those who give by grace aren't concerned about who sees because they know that God sees. And God will reward, and so they give anonymously. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to give openly. Everyone knew in the early church that Barnabas gave the money for the sale of his land in Acts chapter 4. We're told in in the early church that they came and laid their money at the feet of the apostles. That was an open thing. But this is an issue of the heart. See, I give anonymously. I don't want credit for it. I don't want the applause of men. I don't care about that. I don't want my name put in the $1,000 club membership or the, you know, engraved in marble somewhere for the super saints or put in a book somewhere so everyone will ooh and awe and say, how did he do that? You see, when it's God's grace moving me to give, I do it anonymously. Have you ever been somewhere that, where they pass the plate And you gave just because you knew somebody was watching you? You ever done that? i got to find something to put in there because this guy next to me is going to think I'm a tightwad if I don't put something in there. That's not grace giving. Grace giving isn't concerned about the horizontal. It's concerned about the vertical. There's an audience of one. God is watching me. And God has promised to reward me. And God is the one who has given me his grace. And God's grace is such that it has to give. It has to flow out of me to other people. And I do that anonymously because he's the only one I care about. Second characteristic. Grace gives unexpectedly. Look at verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, that's a vivid picture. Their great ordeal of affliction, that word affliction means literally to press down. 
in their great ordeal of being pressed down and their deep poverty, it overflowed in their liberal giving. When they were getting hammered, when they were getting beat, beaten down by circumstances and they were in deep poverty, out of being pressed down and hammered down, what flowed out? Generous giving. Now, you don't expect that to happen. You expect out of affliction and poverty, people to draw in, not give out. And so they did the unexpected. In fact, Paul says that in verse 5. He says, and this, not as we had expected. Paul says they they did beyond our expectation for them. These people were poor. This is like Bangladesh sending aid to Ethiopia. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to people on welfare and saying, I want you to give to these other people on welfare. That's unexpected. That's not normal. But if you're trying to figure it out, let me tell you something. Grace doesn't operate on the basis of logic. Grace gives unexpectedly. We tend to think that when we're poor or we're going through some kind of ordeal of affliction that we're not expected to give. I think a lot of us have been trained by the tax table. One thing, good thing about being poor, when you come time to taxes and you're, you're below a certain line, you just go, I don't have to give anything. Some of us approach God that way. I'm below the line. I don't have to give. Well, let me tell you something. There is no beginning line in giving. If you have anything, you have something to give. The widow in Luke 21 had two pennies. And Jesus was pleased that she gave them. I know people who say, well, I can't afford to give right now like I should, but later, when things get straightened out, then I'll give. People are always saying, I'll give someday. I'll give when I make more money. Right now I can't afford to, but then I will. And I think it's true of our Christian lives that oftentimes we like to live in the hypothetical. Someday, I'll get it together. We love to give in the hypothetical. Can't do it today because I don't have enough. Got to pay my bills. Got to take care of my needs. And then I'll give. You know, Jesus said something interesting about that in Luke 16.10. He said, He who is faithful in very little will be faithful in much. And if you will read that verse, that verse comes in the context of Jesus talking about money. He was faithful in a little money, will be faithful in much money. What's that tell me? If you don't give when you've got a little, you're not going to give when you've got a lot. If you don't care about the poor when you're poor, You will care less when you're rich. 
If you can't trust God by giving when you're poor, you definitely will not trust God by giving when you have money. Let me address the young people for a minute. Young people, are you giving? You say, I'm just a kid. Just high school. I'm in college. I can't afford to give. Parents, are you teaching your children to give? If you give them allowance, are you teaching them to take part of that money and give it to the Lord? The reality is that most teenagers today have more spendable income than any of us because they don't have any bills. So everything they got, they just spend. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and they were talking about a, 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 an event, and people were going to it. It was, a, it was a concert. And I thought, you know, when I was younger, I went to a lot of concerts. Now I go, well, I can't really afford to go to a concert. What's the difference? I had more spendable income when I was younger than I do now. Are you giving to God? If you don't begin to give when you've got a little... You're not going to give when you've got a lot. So what's your excuse for not giving? I would suggest that whatever your excuse is, you're in far better shape than the Macedonians who gave unexpectedly out of deep poverty and great affliction. We expect deep poverty and great affliction to cause us to overflow with stinginess. Instead, theirs overflowed with giving because that's the nature of grace. Third, grace gives joyfully in verse 2 again. Sandwiched between their great affliction and their deep poverty is their abundance of joy. They didn't give and then fret. They didn't give and then regret it. They didn't give and then worry about it. They gave joyfully. Let me tell you something. Riches couldn't produce this kind of joy. Possessions couldn't produce this kind of joy. A change of circumstances couldn't produce this kind of joy. Joy isn't found in getting. Joy isn't found in hoarding. Joy isn't found in spending. Joy is found in giving. When Jesus made this memorable statement, he wasn't making it just so that we could make little plaques out of it and hang it on the wall. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed means happy. It's more happy to give than to receive. See, that is a principle of the universe. And the Macedonians got a hold of that. And even in their poverty, even in their affliction, they gave and they were joyful. Now, the very act of giving won't necessarily make you happy. If you give grudgingly, If you give sparingly, 
if you give out of obligation, if you give because it's a tax deduction, you can give and be miserable. But when your giving is simply in the outflow of the grace of God in you, it's pure joy. And I will tell you this, that's the only kind of giving God wants. Because in the next chapter, chapter 9 and verse 7, we read this. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves to see us joyfully give to others as he has joyfully given to us. Fourth characteristic. Grace gives generously. Look at the end of verse 2. And their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were poor, but they had a wealth of liberality. They were dripping with generosity. I love that picture. And this was not an exceptional case. In fact, if you've got your Bible, look over at Philippians chapter 4. This is one of the churches in Macedonia. Philippians chapter 4. The end of this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul says this in chapter 4 and verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. They were giving people. This was not a rare exception. This is the way they were. In fact, that word liberality is a Greek word that that means literally simplicity or singleness of mind. They gave with simplicity, which means they saw a need and they gave to meet the need. They didn't sit down and go, well, wait a minute, how much money do I have? And how much money will I have left? And how am I going to pay for this? And I need to do this first and then I'll give. They saw the need and they gave to meet the need. That's single-mindedness. If you stop and think about it long enough, you can talk yourself out of giving every time. But what you're really talking yourself out of is the grace of God and the blessing of God and the joy of God. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It's a great passage here where David is collecting for the temple. 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 9. It says, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And then listen to this. But who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. Did you catch that? Giving is taking out of God's hand and giving to him. Because it's all his. And if you want to transform your giving, get this picture of it. I'm simply going to God's hand and taking what's already his and putting it in his other hand, and he's saying thank you. That's what giving is. He's blessed you with everything you have. It's already his. You're simply a steward of what belongs to him. So you're simply taking what is already his and giving it back to him, and he still rewards you for that. You say, well, Dan, can't you be too generous? I mean, how much is too much to give? Well, look over in chapter 9. We'll cheat. We'll go ahead here. Chapter 9 and verse 6, because you will have forgotten this by the time I get there. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you're a farmer, how much you want to reap? Whatever you choose that you want to reap, you first got to sow. And so he says, giving is sowing. How much you want to reap back on harvest day? You make the choice. How much is too much? When you're investing, you're planting in God's garden. And you're going to reap one day. Look at another verse in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Luke 6, 38, if you've never marked this verse, you need to mark it. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. That's a promise. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. God says, you give and I'll give back to you. And guess what? I'm going to let you pick the measuring cup that I use to give back to you. You want to use a thimble? Use a thimble. When it comes time to God, for God to give back to you, he's going to use a thimble. You want to use a quarter cup? Use it. If you want to use a cup, use it. You want to use a shovel? Use it. You want to use a wheelbarrow? Use it. Whatever you use as a measure, God will use that same measure to give back to you. How much is too much? You see, the Macedonians knew that they couldn't outgive God. And so they gave generously. Fifthly, grace gives sacrificially. Notice verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Now let me ask you a question. How do you give beyond your ability to give? Well, you sacrifice. When is the last time that you gave beyond your ability to give? 
Let me show you another passage. Luke 21. Familiar passage. I'll read the first four verses. Speaking about Jesus, it says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Now, this is some heavenly arithmetic. And what we learn from this passage is the issue Jesus is interested in is not the amounts. What Jesus is interested in is the percentages. They gave out of their surplus. They gave their tip money. They gave some pocket change to God. She gave how much? 100%. They gave and never missed it. She gave sacrificially. You know, some of us give so little to the Lord and to others that we don't even miss it. We don't even notice. If the truth be told, what we're giving is our surplus to God. When's the last time you were moved to give and it hurt you to give? It impacted you. This lady gave all she had to live on to the Lord, and Jesus was pleased with that. You see, that pleases God because that's the nature of grace. God showed His grace to you by doing what? Giving His Son as a sacrifice. And the way He sees His grace lived out in your life is by giving sacrificially. David said in 1 Chronicles 21-24, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to give God something that doesn't hurt. I'm not going to give God something that isn't a sacrifice. I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me something. Grace gives sacrificially. Sixth, grace gives willingly. Notice the end of verse 3. Says they gave of their own accord. That means they gave willingly. Verse 4 begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Paul didn't have to pressure these people to give. They wanted to give. They gave willingly. In fact, they begged Paul to give. Pass the offering again. Please, we want to give. They remind me of the Israelites in Moses' day. Back in Exodus chapter 35, we read this. Verse 4. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution. Verse 21. 
Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Verse 22, then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and all articles of gold. Then verse 29, the Israelites, all the men and women whose hearts moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. And then in chapter 36, listen to this. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from his work which he was performing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus, the people were restrained from bringing any more. Wouldn't it be nice if as a congregation, we had to say, stop giving. You've given too much to the Lord. You're too generous. We need to restrain you from giving. See, that was true in Moses' day, and the Macedonians were cut out of that same fabric. They gave willingly. They viewed it as a privilege to give to the Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you view giving as a burden or a privilege? If you really understand grace to any capacity, then you see giving as a privilege because grace is giving. And then finally, grace gives totally. And we looked at this last week, but we'll touch on it again in verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They didn't just give their money, they gave themselves. And that's always the first condition in giving. In fact, God doesn't want your money if he doesn't have you. Stories told about the Franks, a Germanic tribe in the ninth century, uh, and, and well-meaning commanders would sometimes have their whole army baptized before they went into battle. And it's said that many of the Franks got baptized, and they would get baptized and hold their right arm in the air so it didn't get wet. So that then in battle, they could still wield their battle axe and freely in battle and not worry about it because they would say, well, my right arm is not baptized. The modern-day counterpart to that is people getting baptized with their wallet in the air. I got baptized, but my finances didn't. You see, the Lord says, you first give yourself. And when you give yourself to the Lord, that's everything. God's grace gave all. He gave Jesus. And he wants us to give him our all. Ourselves, our possessions, our ambitions, everything. And then when God's grace is truly in my life that way, 
it demonstrates itself in the kind of giving that we see in the Macedonians, that they gave anonymously, unexpectedly, joyfully, generously, sacrificially, willingly, and totally. And why does God's grace do that in me? Because of what it's done for me. Remember verse 9, chapter 8? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up his riches and took your nothingness so that you might have his riches. That's grace. And there is no other way to respond to that grace than to humbly give ourselves back to him and all that we possess and all that we have. Our plans, our ambitions, our possessions, our money are all to him. We're going to close our service by taking communion. And it's going to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus gave, that, when, that his grace was costly. He gave us his life. He gave us his all. He was not, not any poorer than when he was on the cross dying in your place. We're going to take the bread and the cup this morning, reminding of, us of his body and his blood offered up for us. And as we do, I pray that your heart will be moved to say afresh this morning, Lord, I give myself to you, and I give everything I have back to you because you deserve it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. We can't really wrap our arms around it, but we can get hints of it, and we can try to understand it from your word. The reason we don't understand it is it's so foreign to us for you to go from riches to poverty just because you wanted to take us into your riches. And we don't deserve it. And Father, I just pray that today afresh we'll be reminded that it's amazing grace. And Lord, I pray that because we have received your gift of grace, that your grace might manifest itself in our lives in the most practical way, that we would be givers like you are. And that giving would not be about us, but it would display your glory through us. And today, as we take the bread and the cup, I pray that you would challenge our hearts with a reminder of what it costs to make us your children. And Lord, I pray as we realize that, we will realize that anything we give pales in comparison to what Jesus has given us. And we thank you and we praise you and we worship you today in his worthy name. Amen.